Hello, I'm Jason Herderich, and I'm the host of Discomfort Zone, a new podcast on the Invisible Not Broken Network. I'm excited to be joining Monica and Eva here. I'm going to be releasing some of my early episodes over the next few weeks, so I hope you enjoy, and you can find Discomfort Zone wherever you listen to podcasts or on invisiblenotbroken.com. It was early spring, sunny day, 10, 12 degrees, water ice cold. We're getting the boat ready to sail. It had been launched the previous week. And I was working on the deck of the boat at the slip in the marina. And that's when I saw a girl, about three years old, sort of her hands flailing a bit and making funny noises, and looking down at the water as though she'd dropped a doll or something in there. I got off the boat and went over to help her and looked down in the water and there was a small boy in a snowsuit floating face down in the water, thrashing around. I lay down on the dock and grabbed the snowsuit and pulled him out. He was not even shivering. He wouldn't, wasn't saying a word, not crying, obviously showing signs of hypothermia. We took him to his parents, where we checked him again, and he ended up being okay. I guess I was in the right place at the right time. That's my dad. He is the most tenacious person I've ever known. He's always taught me to be aware of my surroundings and to expect the unexpected. In a moment's notice, you can get your heart broken, lose your dream job, or get evicted by your landlord. When that happens, you just gotta get up and keep fighting. Well, not too long ago, I reached a point where I was running out of fight. Day after day, I was struggling to stay afloat. I'm Jason Herderick, and you're listening to Discomfort Zone, the story of my struggle with chronic pain. On today's show, a day that started off like any other takes a scary turn. At the end of the episode, my mom and dad talk about the struggles they have faced as parents of a chronically ill son. I awoke the morning of September 22nd, 2016, the same way I did every day. Unrested, aching from head to toe, and dreading every moment of it. My health had been spiraling downwards for nine straight months. I dragged myself downstairs to the couch where my mom spoon-fed me cooked oatmeal with blueberries. How did you sleep last night? My dad asked. Not well. I responded, staring at the ceiling to avoid eye contact. I was overwhelmed by the daily grind of chronic pain and the associated depression. Meeting my parents' emotionally numb expressions each morning was too painful to bear. Let's go back to October of 2011, when life was good. I was nearing the end of my engineering program, full of potential, eager to make a difference in the world. I had endured countless late nights writing lab reports and preparing presentation slides to get to this point. I could only dream about where I'd be in five years. The possibilities were endless. But after injuring myself during a game of basketball, everything changed. At first, it happened slowly. The pain lingered around long after the expected recovery period. 
it gradually spread from the injury site, my abdomen, to the rest of my body. I would hurt for days after playing the sports that I'd grown to love. Then I graduated and started my career. I was trying to move on with my life, but my condition was getting progressively worse. I quit playing sports. After working at an engineering firm for over a year, I reluctantly took a leave of absence. I never returned. Fast forward to September 2016, where working was the least of my worries. Getting through each day was a struggle. Footsteps outside my bedroom felt like someone was pounding on my head with drum mallets. The salt stains streaking across my phone were remnants from hours spent crying on the phone to friends. I spent my days curled up in bed, accompanied by my heating pad. My condition had robbed me of my career, identity, and quality of life. After breakfast that day, I went upstairs to my bedroom and closed the curtains, shielding myself from the piercing glare of the sun. I opened the YouTube app on my TV and went to my favorite channel. Hi, this is Mato. Welcome to my online chess lecture. In this video... Studying chess matches played by grandmasters was a vital part of my daily ritual. I felt completely powerless over my physical condition. But with chess, I had access to a different world. One where things made sense, where I felt in control. Prior to getting sick, I'd been a competitor in all aspects of my life. But now, chess was my sole outlet for competition. Castling, Queenside is the most played mob, but Tal just gonna wait to attack, to destroy his opponent. I paused the video after each turn to predict the next move. He played, Queen takes on B2. Now this is the critical position of the game. White to move. What could you do in this I often took up to 15 minutes at this point, pushing myself until I was mentally exhausted. And that is all. I hope that you enjoyed watching this video. I wish you good luck with your chess and bye for now. It was gratifying when I'd calculate the winning sequence of moves. But I always left wanting more. Hi, this is Mato. Welcome to my online chess. How would you continue this position? If you had like He played. Queen takes on B2. Bishop takes on G7. And black resigned. Why? Well, it was lunchtime. Just kidding. It was dinner time. Mikhail Tal played D3. Look, from F to Knight A to D5. White. Played a move. And black resigned. Knight to E3 was played. I watched dozens of games that day until my brain went numb. And that is all. I hope that you enjoyed watching this video. I wish you good luck with your chess and bye for now. Pool walking was my sole form of exercise those days. As the hours passed by, I debated whether or not I should go to the pool. I didn't have to battle against gravity. I could relax. It brought me back to childhood when I'd splash around in Georgian Bay with my brother and sister for hours on end. This was a really bad day for me though. The bags around my eyes were widening tree ranks, growing larger after each restless night. I struck a deal with myself. I'd go swimming today and take tomorrow off. My mom drove me to the pool at a relative's condo a short drive away. I lay down in the back seat of her SUV. 
I couldn't tolerate sitting. This was the only way I could travel. We pulled up to the pool enclosure late in the afternoon. Stepping out of the car into the blistering heat, I was hit by a paralyzing wave of dizziness. It's too late to turn back. Let's just get through this. The room was empty. We had it all to ourselves. I eased into the water and began walking back and forth in the shallow end. My mom sat on a deck chair, skimming through news headlines on her phone. Fifteen minutes had passed and I was nearing the end of my routine. A frail elderly man entered the pool area. He walked with a stiff and unsteady gait, focused intently on every step. In the water, he was outside of his element, like a fish on land. As he swam past me, legs sinking below the surface, I exchanged glances with my mom. We were both thinking that this guy's a terrible swimmer. I turned away for a moment. I heard my mom cry out, Jason! as she ran towards the deep end of the pool. The man had disappeared underwater, his hands clawing at the surface for something, anything to grab onto. Then they vanished as well. I was halfway to the deep end before I could process what was happening. Adrenaline coursed through my body as I shoveled water behind me. The last burst of bubbles escaped the man's lungs as his body wilted into the pool floor. I hooked my right arm around him and kicked off the bottom. I dragged him to the poolside into my mom's arms. Using the swim ladder as leverage, I tried squat lifting him while my mom pulled. But we couldn't lift him. Right on cue, a woman rushed in from outside to help out. I pushed with my last ounce of strength as the two women carried him to safety. All color had faded from his face. He coughed out water as they laid him down. Moments later, he was breathing. Then he regained consciousness. He was shaken up, but he was alive. As the situation was under control, my adrenaline rush faded and my bodily sensations snapped back into focus. I was blinded in pain. Fiery sensations engulfed my torso, radiating outwards to my arms and legs. The woman returned and pulled me onto the tile floor. I crawled to a nearby deck chair. In the span of 60 seconds, I had exerted more energy than I had in the last six months combined. Flashing red lights beamed in through the windows. Moments later, a paramedic rushed towards me, passing the old man lying down on an adjacent lounge chair. Sir, are you okay? Do you need assistance? I told her that I wasn't the casualty, but she was still confused. Wait, what? What do you mean? I repeated myself and directed her towards the old man. As the paramedic treated the man for shock, 
My mom came over to check in on me. You saved his life. These words finally sank in. I saved someone's life just as my dad did. For the first time in years, I felt like I had a purpose. My condition had taken everything away from me, but in that moment, not even the excruciating pain I was in could rob me of that feeling. But I didn't save him alone. It was a group effort. The man thanked me and apologized for putting me through so much pain. I looked him in the eyes and said, You are the worst swimmer I've ever seen. Okay, I didn't actually say that, but that would have been pretty funny. After the rescue, I replayed the sequence of events over and over again in my head, feeling a sense of pride each time. The dark clouds looming over me retreated, albeit briefly. For the following eight months, my condition got progressively worse, and I contemplated suicide on several occasions. But on my worst days, I'd remind myself that I saved someone's life. He may have saved mine as well. If you are feeling depressed or you just want to talk to someone, you can call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. I've posted this information and other resources on depression in the show notes at discomfort.fm. After the break, you'll be hearing from my two biggest supporters, my mom and dad. Stay tuned. What stands out in your memory when you think back to the incident at the pool? I remember seeing this man having some difficulty swimming and not taking my eyes off him. And all of a sudden he was floundering and I called out to you. And before I could run around to the side of the pool, you had swam very quickly over to him and were starting to pull him up up from the bottom of the pool. It was what probably was less than 10 seconds, seemed like forever. What sort of emotions were you experiencing? Like immediately after we'd gotten him out and he started breathing? It was worry and um, worry for him and also worry for you. How were you? Because you were having trouble getting yourself out of the pool. I remember seeing you hanging on to the swim ladder and you couldn't pull yourself up out of the pool, yet you were still hanging on to the swim ladder. And I was thinking, I have to, le- I I have to look after this man and I have to look after my son. And it was not until uh, a caregiver that was just immediately outside the pool room came over that I could leave him 
for a minute and help you out of the pool and see how you were doing. I just, my eyes were going from him to you. If I do remember correctly, though, I think it was the, the care worker that pulled me out. I think you probably told her to go over. You're right. Or it was a man that also came with the caregiver. I, I forget. Someone helped pull you out of the pool, and I was just watching the, the, the entire time. I was worried about him and you. You know, something that I should thank you for was that, you know, during my downward spiral, um, you told me that you love me and you hug me every single day. I, I mean, for me, that really, that really helped. You know, those little things that definitely stand out, hug at the end of the day. What was the hardest part of seeing me go through all that? That's difficult to say. Probably the hardest part was when you felt you, when you said you didn't think you could continue doing this for, for too long. Yeah. It's a very tough period for all of us. But we never gave up hope and somehow you didn't either. Yeah. How did you hang on to hope during that period? As a parent and a mother, you just don't give up. You just don't give up. You hang on to any thread of hope and you pray to God. I, I don't thank you guys enough for everything that you did for me during that period. For me, a lot of it, I've kind of been... For me, it's kind of like I want to throw it in the past and move on, but also... I feel like when I do this podcast, it's kind of helps me process a lot of these things. But yeah, very, very, very grateful for everything that you guys did. And I'll, I'll take care of you guys in your old age. Yeah, I'll never let you guys down then. I can promise you that. I'm not going to just stick you in a retirement home and never visit. <laughs> I'll remember that. <laughs> yeah, hold me to it. Uh, yeah, if you've got any technology problems, then I'll be the person that you can go to. And uh, yep. I'll remember that too. <laughs> and I'm bound to. <laughs> I, I might ask Carl to help out on that a little bit. He's the more tech savvy person, but I'll do whatever I can. Do you have any advice for any parents of any kids out there that are living with a chronic illness? I think the most important thing is to never give up hope. It's important to do your own research on the internet so you know what questions to ask of doctors and always tell your child that you love them and you will always, always be there for them. Thank you for coming on and sharing your, your perspective. You're welcome. A, pl a pleasure. Next up, my dad, the man who told the story at the beginning of the episode. So in the, f in the span of a few years, I went from being an extroverted guy full of life to being basically fully bedridden. And what was that like for you seeing me go through that? Well, at first we felt it was uh, just you, you know, not living up to, you know, the pain that you were in and not being able to adapt to it. But as time grew, we realized more and more how serious it was and... I mean, this is 
every parent's worst nightmare when they see a child going down and down and down and not being able to stop it. So the worse you got, the worse it became for us. And in the end, well, not, not in the end, but at the tail end of your downslide, for the last four or five months, I was not sure you're going to live. As a matter of fact, I woke up early every morning wondering if this would be the morning that you would not be getting up anymore. It was horrible. Yeah, I wasn't really sure of it myself whether or not I'd be able to make it through another day. Well, as I said, we just kept on plugging, as you know, trying everything, trying to influence anyone who could possibly help. And for years, nothing was working. And every, at first it was every three months you were worse than you were before. And then near the, you know, the end of your slide, every month, every week, you were worse than you were the week before and had, you know, worse symptoms and had lost more abilities and more weight. And it was like your child is dying. It wasn't uh, like your child is dying. In our opinion, our child was dying. It was horrible. How did you manage to get up and keep going every day? You know, you would cook for me, you'd feed me, you'd care for me every single day. Like how, how did you manage to keep going through that time? Well, we knew if we weren't doing that, then your slide would even be more precipitous and, you know, we'd be giving up. We, we couldn't give up. Us giving up would have caused you to give up. And uh, we had to do everything we could to try to keep your body mass up because the weaker you got, the less resistance you would have. And we we're just so fortunate as well that none of us during that whole time period came down with something like a bad flu that would have even knocked you down further yet. Do you have any advice for parents of any kid with chronic illness? Like, what would you say to them? Keep trying, keep your faith. I prayed, a lot of people I knew prayed, and I, I feel that can help too. I'm extremely grateful for everything that you guys have, have done, um, you know, taking care of me over the years. And I went through some periods where I was incredibly irritable, um, kind of lost control of my emotions. But yeah, I just really wanted to say thank you. I think, you know, we lost control of our emotions sometimes too. And the greatest joy in our life now is just seeing all of our kids getting health, staying healthy or getting healthier as the case may be. Everything that we did trying to keep you alive for the past five years has been more than worthwhile. I just wanted to get back to that point. I think in any family when a kid is suffering from a chronic illness of some kind. Yeah, there's a lot of stress involved and you know emotions are running high, but at the end of the day, we never stop loving each other. And I think that that was really key. Yeah, well, that's what it's all about. That's what a close family is all about. Uh, love each other despite our differences. Uh, when conflicts arise, Sometimes it takes a little while, but work them out and 
move on. Don't dwell on the past. Always look forward to the future. What has it been like seeing me recover so quickly in the last seven months? Fabulous. Fabulous. Not only from the standpoint of your health returning, your happiness returning, your future returning, but we can now start to get on with our own lives a little more and spend some more time just for our own purposes and pleasures, which we weren't able to do before. So it adds a fullness in life. Okay, Dad, thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. A special thanks to my mom and dad for sharing their story on today's show. But more importantly, thanks for being there with me every step of the way. I love you both. According to the Center for Disease Control, an estimated 65 million Americans live with chronic pain, with 26 million suffering from high-impact chronic pain. In this podcast, I'll be sharing stories from my personal experience that shed light on challenges that are common to the larger chronic illness community. Next week, I re-enter the world of dating. This show is produced by myself, Jason Herderick, with help from Justin Meriden. Dan Samosh is our external consultant. A special thanks to Matto the chess guru whose videos kept me sane during my darkest days. I've posted links to his work in the show notes at discomfort.fm. Before you go, make sure you hit that subscribe button. You can also rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listened. If you'd like to get in touch with me, my handle on social media is dzonepodcast. That's all for now. Have a great day.